7.42. So North Korea staged a toned-down military parade yesterday, even while celebrating the 70th anniversary of its regime's foundation. So there were some 50,000 people gathered at Kim Il-sung Square, reportedly. And then we had the military parade, mass games returning for the first time in five years, foreign dignitaries, including the ranking number threes from both China and Russia, a delegation from Cuba notably there as well. But it wasn't President Xi Jinping of China, as was initially speculated, although he did apparently deliver a letter via his delegation. Let's bring in Professor Mason Rishi from the Graduate School of International and Area Studies at Hanguk University of Foreign Studies for further discussion. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Yes, well, good, thank you. And I suppose better uh, with this atmosphere of um, a, a conciliatory approach from North Korea simply by refraining from showing off nuclear weapons. What, what's your initial thoughts o- on that? Um, I really think that uh, in some ways uh, we should remember that you know, these parades have uh, two different aspects. One is that they're, they're partially just normal national celebration days. Uh, but it's, of course, true that they do have a more communication value. Uh, domestically, uh, this year's uh, military or this year's uh, Foundation Day parade highlighted uh, the economy uh, and internationally. Uh, the message was also one of economic focus in order not to antagonize uh, U.S. President Donald Trump. Uh, that being said, enough military equipment was there uh, to remind the U.S. that uh, North Korea is no pushover. Uh, the lack of uh, uh, ICBMs and, and medium-range ballistic missiles in the trade clearly was a gesture in support of continued nuclear diplomacy, and that's a good thing. Uh, But I think that, honestly, the message was not, uh, we will perhaps denuclearize. Uh, I think the message was actually one of something more like, we would like to be a country more like, let's say, Israel. Uh, We won't flaunt our nukes if you don't discuss them either. Uh, In addition, uh, I really think that the lack of ICBMs and NRBMs was a way of saying, look how normal and non-threatening we are, and this is you know, partially about getting continued international community support for for the di- diplomatic process on the peninsula going forward, including for North Korea's position. Uh, you know, something like, you know, no reason to be threatened, uh, no, need, no need for sanctions, uh, no need to, to assume that any possible U.S. attack that might happen in the future if there's a diplomatic breakdown is necessary. We're just a normal country like everyone else. Uh, let's just forget about the whole nuke things and move on. So I think the bottom line really is that North Korea... Uh, has argued uh, in this military parade that the Byungjin lines, so the simultaneous uh, development of, of uh, the military, nuclear weapons in particular, uh, and the economy, uh, is over, uh, and that now the focus is more fully on the economy. But the reason why the Byungjin line is over is uh, because the nuke program is complete. Uh, and that, I think, is not going away. And so I think it's a way of saying, you know, that's where we are, and the ball is back in the U.S. court now. Yes, so much going on right now. Uh, but a simple question, what would have happened, do you think, if they had shown off ICBMs at this parade, as they did in February when we were at a moment of improving ties uh, with the Winter Olympic cooperation and going into dialogue? Would it, have, would it have broken down the dialogue process completely with the US, do you think? Um, not necessarily, although I think it would clearly have been uh, an additional uh, bad sign uh, that 
in the very near-term future, uh, the diplomatic process would break down. Uh, you know, I think that uh, at this point, Donald Trump is significantly invested uh, in this process, uh, just like Kim Jong-un and just like Moon Jae-in, but neither of that he also, uh, just like uh, the leaders of, of both Koreas, can't afford the process to break down uh, at the moment. And so uh, I, I think that that's why you, you didn't see the, the missiles there. I think it would have precipitated a faster breakdown um, of, of the diplomatic process. Uh, but, you know, as I said, I think that you know, they've I think worked out in advance that that's not going to be the case. Uh, I don't think, however, that the lack of ICBMs and NRBMs means that the diplomatic process uh, is going to be more successful moving forward. I really think it's in part uh, a, a way for North Korea to simply ensure that they can continue to string the U.S. along uh, and, and, and South Korea uh, along as well. Well, there was this letter from President Xi Jinping of China which said um, that China hopes North Korea and the United States will implement their common understanding, in other words, move towards a nuclear-free Korean peninsula. Um, but mm, in response, Chairman Kim said that uh, North Korea is very much focused on the economy and is indeed trying to learn from China's experience of economic development. Uh, drawing further on what you said before about that being the implication that they've already developed their nukes, what do we read into China's continued pressure towards denuclearization. Is that sincere? Well, I don't think that China is happy that uh, North Korea has nuclear weapons. Uh, you know, it's a, I think perhaps, uh, in, at least among uh, many casual observers of international news, uh, a relatively uh, unknown fact that North Korea detests China uh, more than they do the United States. Uh, and at least, you know, historically, North Korean leadership has actually feared uh, potential intervention from China as much or more than they have uh, feared a- attack from the U.S. or uh, uh, some other uh, contingency uh, on the U.S. side that might precipitate uh, a crisis in the regime or even the regime's demise. Uh, you know, Kim Jong-il especially uh, uh, famously detested China and was extremely concerned about what China's role in North Korea uh, would be. Uh, and of course, to that end, you know, nukes can be pointed in any direction. Uh, so it's not like uh, Beijing's excited about the fact that North Korea has nuclear weapons. They are, however, realistic, uh, generally speaking, and they have always uh, made denuclearization of North Korea uh, a lower priority than uh, regime stability uh, and in that sense, I don't think that, uh, that things have really changed. You know, the, the letter from Xi Jinping is in part, again, sort of diplomatic boilerplate. You know, the message clearly is, you know, we would certainly like to see you uh, denuclearize, uh, but that's actually really the rub. You know, what does that mean? It's interesting that they use the term your common understanding because, you know, my reading of things so far is that there is no common understanding between the U.S. and North Korea about what denuclearization means. Uh, as we say, you know, they're in the same bed, but they have different dreams. Uh, and uh, I, I think that, you know, in some sense, this is a very nice way of North Korea saying, you know, please keep this process going and try to reach some type of common understanding, because I don't actually think that they have it yet. Well, how do you see things unfolding from here? Especially if North Korea is putting so much focus on the economy. We also saw that with the uh, 
the speech from ceremonial head of state Kim Jong-nam making a speech on economic development during this anniversary of celebrations. Would you suggest, though, that is a possible compromise with the US on the horizon to get some leeway, or will that compromise all have to come from the likes of China and Russia to help develop economically? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I think, you know, let's start, of course, with the, you know, the, the one country we haven't mentioned quite so much in this, and that's uh, South Korea. Mm. Uh, you know, as we know, Kim Jong-un and Moon Jae-in are going to meet uh, September 18 to, to 20. Um, and both of them have every incentive to keep diplomacy on the Korean Peninsula moving forward, uh, just like Donald Trump, who I mentioned, neither can afford a uh, uh, breakdown. Uh, uh, you know, they are, in some sense, doomed to succeed at the upcoming summit. Uh, I think that Moon is going to try to mediate uh, an end-of-war declaration for some type of uh, either... Uh, immediate or, or in the near future, uh, nuclear inventory declaration by North Korea, uh, and at least, at the very minimum, some type of public statement from Kim Jong-un that the U.S. hears with its own ears uh, that he's willing to consider denuclearization. Uh, I think that you know this will produce some type of compromise half measure uh, in the near future that will need to be sold to the U.S. Uh, you know, if that happens or not is anyone's guess. Um, but in any event, North Korea, in my opinion, in the long term, is not going to denuclearize fully under basically any circumstances, mm. in my opinion. So I think that you know, if we're going to see uh, sanctions lifted and if we're going to see uh, North Korea uh, be able to go through some type of economic reform process that might mimic something like what we've seen in China or, or in Vietnam or some other country like that, uh, the U.S. is going to have to move uh, away from its current position. If it doesn't, then indeed we'll face a very interesting question going forward about whether or not China, as well as Russia and other countries, continues to uh, enforce adequately uh, international sanctions. Well, perhaps we are seeing shoots of hope here for those wanting to see a compromise of sorts, because President Trump seems to have already been celebrating the fact there were no ICBMs. He seems to be celebrating the fact of this personal letter, another personal letter from Chairman Kim Jong-un. And if there's enough of that, he's shown, actually, his willingness to compromise in the recent past when, for example, he just unilaterally announced the end of joint military drills over the summer. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, he has a sort of reality distortion field, and you know, most of the time it seems to be uh, directed at uh, people around him uh, who he manages to convince to do things that they probably ought not do, and in some ways even you know better that they shouldn't do. Uh, but sometimes it even manages to work on himself. Uh, and I think with, uh, with North Korea, we have the impression at least that he's convinced himself that he's making progress uh, on this, and you know, denial is a is a very strong uh, emotion. It's a very powerful state of mind, and you know, I think uh, in some sense, you know, he's going to manage to to deny for quite some time uh, that there's uh, a lack of real denuclearization uh, progress. And at some point, you know, either that denial is going to break down, and we're going to see a return to belligerent Trump. Uh, or uh, that denial is going to break down, and he and the people around him are going to realize that you know they've done their best, 
uh, and that North Korea isn't going to denuclearize, and maybe the the, the, the nuclearization of North Korea is water under the bridge, and they're going to need to cut some other type of deal, an arms control deal, an arms reduction deal, uh, uh, some type of you know cap and freeze and limitation of North Korea's nuclear program. Uh, and that would certainly be, in my opinion, about the best outcome that the U.S. and the international community can hope for. Unfortunately, you know, full dismantlement of North Korea's nuclear program would be wonderful, but it's not going to happen in my estimation. I mentioned before the Cuban delegation attending this Foundation Day anniversary celebration. Is North Korea just hedging its bets or being deliberately provocative or genuinely honouring old friendships by continuing to engage in dialogue, not only with Cuba, but also Iran at a very sensitive moment for the US with Tehran relations? Well, I think with, with a country like Cuba, I think that you know they are insignificant enough uh, in the larger, uh, you know, the larger world of U.S. international politics that, that I don't think that Donald Trump or anyone in the U.S. administration takes a sense at that. And in some sense, that's a pretty costless uh, delegation to, to invite. And, you know, this is, you know, a, a particularly important uh, foundation uh, day celebration. It's the 70th, and so it makes perfect sense that they would invite uh, as many overseas delegations and friendship delegations and historical allies. Uh, you know, obviously, Cuba is, you know, one you know, standout country that still, you know, has a nominally socialist or, or, or communist country. So it's certainly there's a hearkening back to the, to the way that things uh, uh, used to be in the, in the old days, so to speak. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think that the Cuba delegation is much more than simply pro forma. Professor uh, Ritchie, I'm sorry we've got to jump in there before we get on to Iran, but we can leave that one in the air and invite any listeners to get in. Professor Mason Rishi, good to have you with us on the line. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.